Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Doctor Is In. I am your host, Paul Verhoeven. If the acoustics sound a bit weird, it's because there is some fairly aggressive construction going on right near the studio, so I am recording in the living room. And it's a big room, and as a result, I mean, it might sound a bit like I'm in an enormous bathroom. Uh, But I'm not. Although it is audio, so I might just be in the bathroom. I'm not. It's fine. This week on the episode, we will be chatting with Vinay Patel, who wrote uh, this week's episode of Doctor Who. Um, Demons of the Punjab. So obviously the episode was about some pretty intense stuff, namely an event called Partition, uh, and that's what the episode is about. It's a spoiler-free chat, but um, full disclosure, we did both record it before the episode had actually aired. Um, So I'm pretty sure it's safe. And it's a great interview. Um, Vinay is absolutely beautiful um, to talk to. He he was just fantastic. So make sure you stick around for that. But first, whose news is it anyway? This week on Dr. Hugh News, I said Hugh News. Hughing, I think, is cutting something in half, um, and we're not doing that. I mean, it's just the regular length. Anyway, this week in Hugh News, god damn it, in audio news, uh, Big Finish is going to be bringing the Paternoster gang back for a new series of audio adventures. This is really exciting. So if you recall, um, back in Matt Smith's Doctor Who, Madame Vastra, Jenny and Strax, the Sontaran, were basically this like trio of London uh, you know, adventurers. So there was a Salarian and there was a Sontaran and there was uh, Jenny, who's just, you know, just a regular run-of-the-mill human. Anyway, so uh, the big finished dramas are going to take us back to Victorian London during the 12th Doctor's era of Doctor Who, and they've been reunited, and you will get to actually listen to the Stephen Moffat-era trio have adventures in audio form. I am such a big, vehement fan of Big Finish, so do make sure you keep your ears peeled for that. It should be out next year. In comic news this week, we are about to see the uh, release of the Doctor Who 13th Doctor first issue of the comic. Look, what I'm trying to say is that we, we normally get some really great Doctor Who comics running parallel to the show. And the 13th Doctor's run is about to kick off. Uh, it's coming out through Titan. And obviously, we've got an Eisner-nominated writer on board, uh, Jody Hauser, um, who worked on Stranger Things and Spider-Man. We've got friend of the show, Rachel Stott, who is doing uh, the illustrating. It's going to be awesome. Finally, we will get to see the comic book form of Jodie Whittaker's Doctor as well as the comic book forms of Graham, Yasmin, and Ryan. It comes out on the 7th of November. Make sure you grab yourselves a copy. And in Christmas news, you know how last week on The Doctor Is In, I uh, dropped the news that they're not going to be making a Christmas episode this season? They're going straight for kind of a New Year's thing, which is totally fine with me. Like, you know, Christmas is a bit wrung out. Well... It's the internet, and if someone can complain about something, they will. So naturally, a petition has uh, appeared calling for the BBC to change their mind and give us a Doctor Who Christmas special. Now, I think when I checked a couple of days back, had about had about 1,500 signatures, uh, maybe more, and here is what they said. 
He was their petition, for their call for sanity. Chris Chibnall, the showrunner of Doctor Who, has indirectly informed the public that he will not be writing a Doctor Who Christmas special. This move that clearly sends a message, bar humbug, breaks 13 years of tradition and easily lands Chibnall a cold spot amongst some of Christmas's most notorious detractors, such as Ebenezer Scrooge or The Grinch. Can I just say, petitioners, some of the Christmas episodes have been pretty rough and I think it's kind of cool to give something new uh, to that time of year. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you can always go back and watch the Christmas episodes or just hit up a Charlie Brown Christmas or, you know, set fire to a copy of Love Actually and throw it into a, into a ditch. Like, there, there are Christmassy things you can do to celebrate Christmas without missing out on, you know, Doctor Who Christmas specials. So, I guess the message to the petitioners, uh, provided they are not having a laugh, uh, which they might be, would be from me. Suck it up. Ugh. It's time now for my interview with Vinay Patel. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, for joining us on the show. Hey, um, I just wrapped up the episode. That was that was a tearjerker. Um, congratulations. How does it? Th- I mean, we were obviously talking um, slightly before it's been released. I wanted to ask you what it feels like in the moments before this thing is unleashed upon the world. Like, what's the anticipation feel like for you? Uh, terrifying. <laughs> uh, like, but you know, I think there's that one level of terrifying in that. You know, it's an episode of Doctor Who. It's my first episode of Doctor Who. Yes. And um, so that's at one level. And then the second level is, of course, the the topic that we're looking at in it and how we handle it and how people will respond to that. And, you know, you feel like you've done, like, the best job of it you can do, but there will always be someone, probably on the depths of Twitter, who will tell you otherwise. So <laughs> sort of just spewing yourself for that. Sure. It's like, you know, I'm very excited because I'm very proud of it as well. Oh, you should be. It's it's a bloody beautiful piece of television. I mean, you mentioned that it's your first episode of Doctor Who. How long have you had this marinating? Did you grow up watching Doctor Who? And if so, did you have ideas for episodes long ago that, you know, ended up here on the page, so to speak? Yeah, so uh, I grew up watching lots of science fiction. Uh, Doctor Who was sort of a bit of a gap in my knowledge until the New Who era. Sure. Uh, at which point... Like, my very first girlfriend uh, was, like, really into David Tennant. <laughs> so, like, she was the person who pushed me towards. So, my, my viewing of uh, who in this era was sort of was controlled by, yeah, which episode she thought he was uh, the finest in, which, you know, was a very weird text on our relationship, and uh, it didn't last very long. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I hadn't... Really, I hadn't really thought too much about like what I would do because I sort of don't like to get ahead of myself too much. Mm. Um, but as soon as uh, I got hired to, for this, it was like all those. Because I really, I love sci-fi. I want to write sci-fi uh, for the rest of my life if I can. Oh my god, my cat has come to say hello. Sorry, just gonna get him away. Oh, that's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I knew I was gonna be ranked up who, um, this was the first thing that came to my mind just because I understood in a British perspective in particular that that was a show that was going to go out to quite a broad audience and I'm always quite interested in the way you can bring stories that are sort of on the fringes of society or history into the mainstream Mm. and I felt like Partition was one of those stories that obviously has a direct connection to British history but wasn't particularly at all known and so I was like this is that opportunity to do that and I was yeah I was just that was yeah top of my list and I was super excited to do it and I had a bunch of others uh, which hopefully one day 
maybe we'll get to see. But uh, yeah, that was the one that I was just super excited about getting a chance to step out there. Oh, absolutely. I, I, and I like that attitude of, um, you know, I've got other stuff in the bank that I want to kind of lay down at some point. And I mean, okay, so you were you were strapped to a gurney at some point and forced to watch David Tennant, you know, um, swashbuckle about by by your partner, which is, you know, that's a fairly common, that's a that's a relatable experience. Um, yeah, I think that's quite common. Yeah, and because he's a dish. But like, how much of that, um, how much of that viewing experience do you think informed the way you wrote Jodie's Doctor? Um, well, I think you know Chris had a very clear idea of what he wanted Jodie's Doctor to be like. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I did have, you know, I had, I had uh, the sort of tenant doctor and Matt Smith doctor in my head, you know, at first before we really got uh, a full sense of, well, you know, before we even knew who it was going to be. Yeah. Um, so, and the thing I really took from that era was that sort of, that vibrancy, that fun, that sense of the doctor as this uh, life raft in the universe, uh, which I guess that's not even my phrase, it's a friend of mine, but, it, but that's the thing I really enjoyed about that Doctor was that it could, you know, go to con- terrifying, some dangerous, some bizarre places, but your one constant that you could always look into was that Doctor, and it felt like having, especially if you're going to go through uh, episodes like, you know, dealing with the historicals here, like Rosa, like Partition, having that sort of solid rock figure for you as an audience, especially the younger audience, mm. that felt like a really compelling thing to have, and actually relatively rare on television, that sort of has a lot of love for, you know, the anti-hero, which uh, I do too, but it, it sort of made it more important to have that kind of doctor with that energy, with that positivity, with that outlook that the world could be better if only we all tried a little bit um, in it, and that, you know, I, as in a sort of like quite a lame way, when I was like studying writing, I was always that person who was like, I want to put narratives of hope out into the world because I think that's really important. Yeah. Especially if you feel like, you know, your politicians aren't giving you that, you feel like society isn't quite showing you that and it felt the doctor has a very special place in doing that in the world and so um, getting a chance to write a doctor like that was like everything I wanted to do. Yeah, that that does seem like a really prevailing sentiment, especially in, you know, the the dumpster fire that is 2018. You know, there's a lot of scary stuff yeah. going on. And it's, and it's kind of nice. It's nice to have someone just rock up and go, nah, I think I think it's actually this is actually doable. What was it like? Well, I mean, no, what, not what was it like. Why did you then decide to write a narrative in which being passive was a cruel necessity for the Doctor and, and her crew? Sorry, it's uh, raining a little bit hard, so I didn't quite catch that. If you could repeat that, that'd be great. That is the most British problem ever. Um, I said, yeah, I, <laughs> I was asking um, how what, what it was like then writing a narrative in which you basically had to make the Doctor powerless by necessity because interrupting would would right, ruin, would yeah. ruin yes. Yeah. Um, well, that's a balance because obviously you don't you want to give the recurring characters within the story agency. Yeah. But the way I see it is that. Um, especially this iteration of uh, the Doctor is, the whole gang in the TARDIS are a sort of extension of who the Doctor is, and so making them sit with the dilemma and making Yaz a bit more active in it felt um, important, especially for this episode. Mm. But yeah, it was that, you know, one of those things I told myself when I was writing it was, there is no way you can have the Doctor save the day in this situation, you know, partly just because it felt wrong for this episode, but also just in terms of the scope of what happens in that situation and how Partition still uh, is a wound in that subcontinent today, it, it 
it would feel weird if the doctor stepped in there and sort of tie everything up. So that was one of those big considerations at the top of my head. And that, you know, that led to every other creative decision. It was, you know, um, a big part of why we decided to work with the monsters in the way that we did. Yeah. Um, and realizing that the goal was, I, me personally, was to try and give a lot of space over to those guest characters um, for this particular episode and make it all about them. Yeah. And do you think that it was tricky? Because I know that you mentioned the Doctor works basically now. Um, the power is distributed pretty evenly. And I think to the benefit of the show amongst those core characters. Um, do you think that's more... Do you think the Doctor knows... What I'm trying to say is, do you think the Doctor is handing the reins over? Or do you think the Doctor has, just in the writing process, become l- slightly less active and potent as a way of empowering the other characters? Do you think the Doctor is basically seeding power... Uh, within the narrative, I guess? Um, I think what real power looks like is the ability to know when to let other people take charge. Yeah, okay. And I think if any character is going to embody that, it's going to be the Doctor. So I I don't see her as someone who's become more passive exactly, but more understanding that, you know, the way of working with a team is to understand that you are not necessarily the greatest person for everything in every single moment. Yeah. And if you were then, you know, why do you even need other people around? <laughs> so I feel like that's like generosity towards the companions. Just, I think, you know, I think that is the beginning of the show. And I think it also makes it more compelling and allows more viewpoints into situations, which the Doctor can sit with and maybe make a choice with. And, you know, there are moments the Doctor absolutely has to take charge. But I think there's something in the gesture of the Doctor being more generous with the way power works in that show that I yeah I think is really fascinating and I think really appropriate for the times that we're in as well. And I think really appropriate given that, you know, this time that you sent us back to in this episode is specifically about the problems that arose because British people intervened too much, right? Like the, I think it would have been weird to have, you know, uh, even, even, uh, even Jody technically rampaging in as a white savior would not send the right message. I think, um, I, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm from Australia and I, um, we have very bad problems and a very, like we have a turd of a history here. We've got ongoing issues with, with stuff. And but as a result, like I just didn't know about partition. I didn't, I didn't know my partner. Um, she, uh, she went out with a, with an Indian guy back when she was in high school and she was like, Oh yeah, I knew all about this. And you know, we did some research after watching it. (laughs) Holy crap. Like this is a fraught era. Um, um, how was it like to tell that story? Well, yeah, I mean, like, what, like, and what, what was it that made you? I mean, were you nervous about uh, dumping this in the lap of of oh, audiences? God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one, of, it's one of those um things where you know when you know something and you just sort of assume other people know stuff about it too. Yeah. I think my thing with partition is I sort of just because of my background, I sort of knew a little bit about it and just thought, oh, you know, that's a part of history people know about, especially because it is tied. You know, the end of empire it is part of British history. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, the context that we try to put into. Well, I was very keen on putting that episode anyway about how the end of World War Two, and we had lots of men who fought in that. You know, coming back into the country, that is part of the texture of what that that time was like. Yes. And so it is tied to um to that you know that period as people hold as like you know the glory moment for the, the British uh, in particular. And so. Um, I, you know, that's, in my head, it was kind of part of that. And one of the things that I found really, you know, astonishing was, like, even when talking to the other writers, talking to people when we were uh, on 
the set and the crew, like how they knew nothing of it, you know, because it isn't taught in school, so there is no communal history for that story mm. uh, in this country. And, you know, it's quite easy to avoid if you want to. And um, what was interesting is, like, so last year was the 17th anniversary of Partition, and over here we had, like, a couple of documentaries. There was, like, um, a feature film that sort of looked at it from uh, mostly... But, uh, Mountbatten's, who were uh, vice, uh, Mountbatten was the last voice, voice of Raven here, and it looked at it from his sort of perspective and what it meant to sort of draw that partition line. And the thing that always I found really fascinating about it was how, you know, on one level, absolutely monstrous and horrific, and it was like the largest migration of people in the 20th century, um, but you never really hear about that. So there's that sense of epic upheaval and the way that it was tied to you know, people deep in my own family's history have a connection with that. And it felt weird that that wasn't something that was better known. So on one level, you're like, great, you know, I feel that is something I definitely want to put out there. But then the other, you know, the slightly tricky thing with that is if it's going to be some people's first encounter uh, with that period of history, mm. it's so hard to, you know, you want to go, oh, I want to tell you a little bit about this, a little bit about this, so you get a good overview. And then, you know, in the process of writing it, it was the realization that we can only really tell one small story within this giant one. And that was like uh, the hardest part of it for me, actually, was trying to shrink partition into something that wasn't just the metaphor of the situation, but was very truthful and was born from those characters that we had created in the hope that people would then go, okay, you know, I can go from here and uh, learn about other people who experienced partition. I can learn about what it was like to be, you know, particularly a Sikh at that time, what it was like for the partition of East Pakistan, which never really gets talked about, because there is a partition in Bengal, but there's, uh, sorry, a partition in Punjab, but there's also one in Bengal on the other side of the country as well. Yeah. And so it's much larger event than, you know, you can ever show. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the rate at which I'm talking now tells you about the nerve. But I feel like, I feel like this is like a positive uh, step for, um, you know, people particularly in this country, but, you know, around the world as well to sort of engage with that theory of history. Absolutely. And I think if Rosa, if the reception, the rapturous reception to Rosa, there's some alliteration for you, um, proved anything, it's that people are receptive to learning especially with this new season, people are open to hearing about things like this. Like Rosa Parks was trending on Twitter after this, after that episode. I don't see why you, yeah. you can't effectively educate a whole generation about like, what was it? Almost 2 million people died and 12 million homeless as a result. Like this is, people should know this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, you may have just opened a new generation up to this dark period in history through Doctor Who, no less. Well, yeah. And that's, you know, on one level, you know, you, well, I feel quite proud of that, but also that thing is that because it is such a dark period of history because it has such long tails into the present, I hope is that that's just the start of people's journey with understanding what that is. Yeah. And that they will, like, I'm intending to do, like, I mean, I know this will go after it's aired, but I'm going to send, I'm going to get myself off Twitter for the time that it's on because I don't hate myself. Um, but I'm going to try and set up like these automated tweets that tell you a little bit about each uh, segment and a little bit more information oh. alongside it while it's running. Because I just feel like I want it to be the springboard into a greater knowledge. Yeah, that's that's really great. I'll I'll be sure to link to those on the website. Listen, Vinay, um, I I mean we have to go. This is, I mean this could go on for hours, but I really thank you so much for chatting. Um, the episode's great. You should be very yeah, proud of yourself, you. and um, I look forward to your next. Oh, thanks, man. I look forward to your next foray into Doctor Who. Oh, I hope, yeah. I'll get to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed, mate.
Time now for this week's issue. Issue? It's not an issue, Paul. It's not the printed word. I guess it's like an instalment. I could go back and fix this intro for Companion Piece, but I'm not going to. On Companion Piece this week, we need to talk about Martha. Have you ever been with someone who just got out of like the relationship? You know, like the relationship, the big one. Uh, and they, they talk about them all the time. And, you know, uh, even when they're not talking about their ex, they're saying stuff like, oh, I love this cafe. We used to, <sighs> never mind. Then they sigh and they look off into the middle distance and you're like, I know you're talking about her, you idiot. We ha- you have that sad, far away look like a wounded puppy with PTSD. Please just stop talking and thinking about your ex. So I guess I wanted to ask the question, how do you follow the one? Like, how do you live in someone else's shadow? Because that's exactly what Martha Jones did. Sorry, Dr. Jones. Because Martha Jones is a doctor. You see, Martha Jones met the doctor when the hospital she was working in was zapped into space by a bunch of armored rhinoceroses. Is it rhinoceros? Is the plural of rhinoceros rhinoceros? I have a browser window open. Just nod once if you want me to Google the plural of rhinoceros. I'm doing it now. And again, I could edit this out, but I feel like it's important to capture the organic lounge room and in bathroom feel. Here we go. Rhinoceros. What is the correct plural of rhinoceros? It's not rhinoceri, is it? Damn it, it is. It's rhinoceri. I'm not going to say that. Are we talking about Martha? Jesus Christ. Okay. Let's get back to Martha, shall we? So... Martha's hospital is zapped into space and a bunch of armored rhinoceri, I really hate how much work it took to get to that point. And um, what happened again? Oh yeah, that's right. So uh, David Tennant's the doctor and Martha are kind of banding together to deal with these rhinoceri and they get along straight away. But the doctor is still raw at this point from losing Rose Tyler, uh, understandably. And Martha's kind of into him. But all he did was talk about Rose. But you know what? They still got along anyway. Furthermore, through sheer bloody-mindedness, Martha made the Doctor talk about Rose. He, she pulled him out of his grief spiral. And when the Doctor got turned into a human and forgot who he really was, uh, she had to hang around and watch him fall in love with another human who wasn't her. And she helped him anyway. She stalked the Earth while the Doctor was in the, was in the Master's prison and was turned into like a sketchy old man. And she ran this this one-woman rebellion across Earth. She even came back onto the show once the Doctor was traveling with Donna. And by this point, you know, being with the Doctor has hardened her and turned her into a kind of paramilitary Doctor genius woman. So the show Doctor Who, with varying degrees of success, what I'm trying to say is the show often tries to show us what the effect of being with the Doctor is for the companions. And you know what the aftermath of that is. Like, how do you... How do you deal with time after the Doctor? And how does the Doctor deal with time after a companion that had an impact on him? Martha is one of the best companions because she has zero chance of living up to Rose, and so she doesn't try to. After a while, she becomes something else. She's a walking, talking, breathing, loving lesson in realizing what you are actually worth and knowing when to stop pouring every bit of yourself into someone who doesn't maybe doesn't deserve you. You know, I will never fully understand people who don't adore Martha Jones. Sorry, Dr. Jones. We should all call her Dr. Jones. Although, yeah, maybe I do. Maybe the reason why people bounce so hard off her doe-eyed worship and sadness in the first half of her run do so because they've all acted that way themselves and it reminds them of their weaker moments. So much like I said to the um, 
to the people petitioning for a Christmas episode this year, if you don't like Martha Jones, suck it up. That is all the time we have for this week's episode of The Doctor Is In. Thank you very, very much for joining me on this uh, somewhat scattershot, whimsical episode of the show. Thank you so much to Vinay Patel, not just for writing Demons of the Punjab, but also for stopping by and uh, having a chat. Wonderful insights. Magical man. Hope you write another episode. And be sure to head across to iTunes, you know, do all the rate, review, subscribe stuff. If you can follow us on Twitter at TDIIPod. And if you want to leave a review, that's great as well. In the meantime, though, please stay safe. And I'll see you all next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.